This program is not censored. Consider yourself warned. Want to advertise on this podcast? Email sponsorshiplollipop at gmail.com. Lights, camera, action. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Table Reads, the podcast where we take scripts that have never been filmed and read them so that you might experience the joy of terrible writing that Hollywood has tried to deny you. Your hosts on this tour of unproduced dreck are Sean McBee and me, Trevor Thompson, who have written enough terrible nonsense together and apart that it should keep this show running forever. We really got to change that line because we almost run out of our own material. Pretty quickly. I'm... But, uh, so, yeah, you're saying that the person who should be doing that intro, our one and only beloved Don Capone, uh, you said he did Iron Man 3, the the trailer for Iron Man. Oh, Iron Man. Iron Man. Yeah. Iron Man 3. I don't don't know where you got the three. I mean, because Capone is the best in my mind, so I figure the best Iron Man movie is what he should be in, doing the trailer for. Yeah, he was. Oh, you don't think Iron Man 3 was... Nobody thinks Iron Man 3 is the best Iron Man movie. Oh, what franchise? Shane Black. What franchise am I Shane thinking? Shane Black, who directed that Iron Man movie and not the others, doesn't think that's the best Iron Man movie. I think you're you're exaggerating. I'm not. The first Iron Man is the best of all the Marvel movies. Well, then I saw the best one in the theater, because that's the one I saw. So, yeah, I went to DonCapone.com, and uh, it has some movie trailers that he did, and that's the only good one. What, only good movie or the only good voiceover he did? The only good movie he did it, the trailer for. Uh-huh. That's on the site, anyway. He may have done dozens of others, but he uh, he put that in some like really, really terrible-looking comedy and uh, some other thing. But hey, we're doing Back to the Future. Are we? I think. Time to go back. We are. So who knows which um, which episode we are at right now with Table Reads, but... Uh, I think this is the fourth episode of Table Reads for this script. Quite possibly. Quite possibly that's true. Although it's also possible that someone right now is looking at the screen that this is playing on and screaming, no, obviously it isn't because I can see the title and you guys are weird. I'm pretty sure it's the, the episode four of Back to the Future. You know what it is. I'm actually because no, last, last time it was the three, fir- and we the only first did time we did two, uh, we we did two recordings. The first time, the second time we did one, and the third time we're doing we're doing this fourth one. So yeah, probably okay. Now we're about two thirds of the way through the script. Which yeah. Anyway, guys, thanks for uh, sticking with us um, on this. Uh, I guess very early uh, edition of uh, Back to the Future, written by uh, Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis. So early, in fact, that he's not Duck. I'm not Duck. I'm Professor Brown. For some Des- odd reason. Despite not actually being a tenured professor at any university or institution. A professor has to kind of, you know, like have large group rooms full of people that listen to him. And meanwhile, Doc keeps himself or Professor keeps himself. Yeah, I mean, Doc, Doc is fair. You can call anyone Doc if they've got a Ph.D., or they just like being Does he not Doc. have a PhD in this script? I'm sure he's got a PhD, but a professor is a profession. Yeah, good point. You know, a doctor is a title. And he's not he's not doing a lot of work. He's kind of just, you know, hanging with Marty and doing all this stuff. I don't know. I'm living off my family fortune. That's right. Cuz he does say that For in- now. <laughs> well, he he was in the in the movie, they show the progression in reverse, kind of of that, because he's you see him in a parking lot. His garage is literally in, in a shopping parking lot next to a Burger King, you know. And you you see in the wide shot when Marty skates off past the Burger King that that's the that's his garage. And then later you see his garage attached to in 1955 attached to this this great mansion. Also in the the opening credits you see a, a newspaper clipping that says something about his his estate burning down yeah 
which I always figured was because he did some experiment went wrong. And, of course. Yeah, you know. Uh, so nobody in town was like. So <laughs> well, Doc, uh, nobody, nobody heard. Any the, idea what the cause? <laughs> nobody in this? Hill Valley was like, "Hey, did you hear the mansion, the the Brown Mansion burned down? Oh, I wonder how that happened." <laughs> Fucking old Mister Wizard was at it again. But um, anyway, Doc's. Uh, you know, it's it's also weird. We take it for granted the fact that they never actually explain Marty and Doc's relationship. It's just. Of course this 17-year-old kid hangs out with this 70-year-old mad scientist. I mean, of course they do. In the special features of the DVD, they say that in an early version of the script, uh, it mentions that Doc... They, they mention that, that Mar- Marty says something about, you know, he Doc originally hired him to clean stuff out of his garage or whatever, clean up after him, you know. And uh, he just like the guy and blah 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 but i haven't seen any of that in this script Mm -mm. i don't recall sean so probably what happened was they wrote this script and one of the notes was you know someone someone really should explain why these two are friends and then you know it's funny and then they wrote it and then they were like yeah let's not do that let's just have them be friends because because notes notes are stupid almost always yeah Unless it's like, don't kill Dante. Yeah, that was a smart note. That was, hey, you know what? Some people would argue that Clerks 2 is better than the original. And those people would not get Clerks 2 if uh, Kevin had originally ended it the way it was. Yeah, and you know, some people say that Clerks 2 is better than the original. And those people should drink bleach. I don't know, man. It comes close. In terms of goodness. I don't know. Anyway, back to the future. Let's get back to the future. You're right. We're, we're talking about... We're books. on scene number. The scenes aren't numbered. <laughs> but I believe it was... Uh, it was right after... It, it was. We were making fun of the fact that uh, uh, Lorraine, a.k.a. Eileen in this script... Yeah. Now, now let's, says let's just, chicken. Let's just do a quick recap. Um, basically, we're at the point where Marty's back in time and he's fucked up his uh, parents' relationship. Um, thus putting his own existence in danger. And though we joked about it constantly, there's n- not been any hand disappearingness, right? Or any any sign that the timeline is being altered. Um, I don't think he has a photo of his family with him or anything. Um, so, in an effort to get them back together and go to the dance together, Marty has asked his mother to the dance. Right. And taped a tape recorder under the table. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. To, uh, I guess, find out (laughs) what she thinks about George so he can coach George in how to win her. And uh, he and Doc, I believe, listened back to the tape. This is turning into being like a fucking Twilight Zone episode, like... He has to, like, sabotage his mom and, like, trick her. That's where the chicken thing comes in. Eileen said that George is just a chicken. So, I think we're going to find out uh, how Marty puts this plan into action right now as we cut to exterior George's backyard. George and Marty. Wait. Day. We may as well put it in the fucking show. It's a great way to start. As far as uh, big, sweeping, thematic uh, score and Mm -hmm. themes, I really think that Alan Silvestri's work on Back to the Future tops John Williams's work on Star Wars Superman and 
anything else he's ever done. You're not going to get any argument over from me, buddy. I mean, I, I think I think this is... And he also does some of that same quality and caliber work with the, the, the music for Roger Rabbit. It's the same quality of big sweeping, you know, and it, it adds an, it's even harder to do uh, justice to that because it's it's actually three different kinds of movie score. It's that kind of epic movie score. It's tune music and it's the th- like eight piece jazz ensemble. Yeah, but but I this this score unbeatable and I wouldn't oh, I, I, I love the work on Roger Rabbit, but I wouldn't say that it beats Star Wars. No, but I'm saying it's the same caliber that he does here, but he just, it's just so much, I think because it's just this one thing, big epic movie sound and not having to share. It's, it's with, just amazing. Yeah. All right. Now another uh, big movie, uh, big music hit for you right now. Hmm. Oh yeah. Can we get to reading this though? Yes. Let's read. I just wanted to like, you know, get into the next thing. Exterior, George's backyard, George and Marty, day. Marty is facing George, challenging him. Come on, George! Don't be such a chicken! Hit me in the stomach! (laughs) Right here, go ahead! Marty makes himself a target. George seems quite unwilling. In the background, a homemade body bag, a duffel bag filled with clothes, is hanging from a tree. Now, that's that's a a boxing body bag. Right. Not like a... Not like somebody's dead in there. (laughs) Or as like from uh, MGM... The dead munchkin. It's hanging from a tree. I don't want to hit you in this. Oh, I'm George. Sorry. I don't want to hit you in the stomach. You're not going to hurt me. Just hit me in the stomach. Look, Marty. I'm just not a fighter. How many times do I have to explain it to you? We know you're not a fighter. You know it. I know it. But she doesn't know it. That's why we got to make you look like a fighter. Somebody who will stand up for her. Somebody who isn't chicken. And you're not going to look like a fighter if you can't hit me in the stomach. But I've never picked a fight in my entire life. You're not picking a fight. You're coming to her rescue. Maybe we'd better go over the plan again. Where are you going to be at 8.55? I'm going to be at the dance. That's how he says it in the movie. I can't help it. That didn't even sound like George. I'm going to be at the dance. And where am I going to be? In the parking lot with her. Okay, so right around 9 o'clock, she's going to get very angry with me. Why? Why what? Why is she going to get angry with you? Oh, because... Well, nice girls get angry at guys who, who try to take advantage of them. You mean you're going to... I'm going to rape her in the face. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something else. Fine, go, go, go with that. If that works, <laughs> you know. That'll get me to kiss her. Why not rape her? <laughs> Even sloppy. Oh, <laughs> rape her in the face. So, in the face. So, you know, I get your sloppy seconds Thank when I you, kiss buddy. her. Um, George, it's not your concern. Don't worry about it. Just remember that at 9 o'clock, you'll be strolling through the parking lot and you'll see us. Struggling in the car. You'll run over, open the door, and say... George doesn't say anything. You're lying, George! Oh, uh, hey you, get your damn hands off her! You really think I should swear? Yes, definitely, George, swear. Then you hit me in the stomach, I go down for the count, and you and Eileen live happily ever after. Now hit me in the stomach! George takes a deep breath and throws a flimsy punch into Marty's gut. No, George, put a little emotion into it. A little hostility, a little anger. George tries to get himself angry. He makes some faces and throws another punch. It's not much better. Anger, George, anger. Maybe if I used my my left. No, George, just, just concentrate on anger. Anger. George throws another punch. This one is slightly better than the last one. Well... I think you're starting to get the hang of it. Just keep practicing. I'll see you tonight. Remember, anger, George. Anger! Marty walks off, leaving George with the body bag. He stares at it, trying to make himself mad. Anger. Anger. He hits it harder. Again. Harder. Again. He hits the tree! George howls in pain. Oh! God damn it! 
when you exclaim things, you totally drop character and you just sound like Trevor, always. I don't know how to see. I've never heard him yell. God damn it. He could still whine God it. God damn it. What is he, Woody Allen? Essentially, <laughs> he's really angry now, and he socks the bag with his left. He knocks it clear off the tree. George is astonished, and also Captain America. <laughs> Interior, Brown's Garage, Professor Brown, Marty, Knight. The time machine and lead-lined refrigerator time chamber are... S- <laughs> I like that you're doing the uh, the Gary uh, Gary Owens uh, hand finger on your ear. Yeah, I do that sometimes. I don't know why. <laughs> the time machine and lead-lined refrigerator time chamber are assembled in the bed of, an army tr- of the army truck, as well as the power converter and a motorcycle with a sidecar. Professor Brown is putting a tarp over the time machine. Oh, wait a second. I'm sorry. We need our ambient noise. Marty is putting his 1980s clothes in a laundry bag along with a few bottles of Coke. Everything's ready to go. Uh, What about the chemicals for the power converter? Or whatever they are. Marty puts his stuff in the cab of the truck. It's all taken care of. Good. I'll pick you up in front of the school. In front of the school. I'll pick you up in front of the school at midnight. Don't be late. We're coming as close as it is. We've got a long drive ahead of us. Marty fidgets with the tie he's wearing. He's very ill at ease. Look, I'm a little worried about this. This whole thing with my mother. I mean, I don't know if I can do it. I mean, hitting on my own mother. That's pretty heavy. Nobody said anything about hitting her. You're just going to take a few liberties with her. That's exactly what I said. I mean, a guy and his mother? That's illegal, isn't it? Look, Marty, she's not your mother yet. And if you don't go through with this, she never will be. I know it's hard, but there are some things we must do in life that are unpleasant. Some choices must be made that are difficult. Nonetheless, we must, we must make them. Besides... This may be more than simply a question of your own existence. The fate of the entire space-time continuum may rest on your shoulders. That's just what I needed to hear. It'll be fine, Marty. You'll do fine. Good luck. They shake hands, which is weird and awkward. Yeah. Or should be. Yeah. Professor, if something does go wrong tonight, if I don't get my parents back together, when do you think I'd cease to exist? There's no way of knowing. It could happen at the moment you arrive back in the future. Theoretically, it could happen at the moment of your birth. Or conception. Actually, it could happen at any time. It's a question of... It's a question to which I hope we'll never learn the answer. Amen. Oh. Interior, school gymnasium. I'm sorry. I didn't... I just realized we're at the school gymnasium already. Yeah. Let me just get this out of the way here. I know it's not in the in the script, but what this song is, but uh, it's good enough. It's it's Marvin Barry and the Starlighters. Springtime in Paris is well underway. On stage is the band Lester Moon and the Midnighters. <laughs> sure. They're all black. Lester himself plays rhythm guitar and sings. There's also a drummer, piano player, sax, clarinet, and bass fiddle. They're playing the blue tango, which is not this song. <laughs> the gym floor has a paper-made Eiffel Tower in the center. Students do the tango around it. <laughs> the gym floor... Tangoing students in the 50s? I don't know, man. I don't know how that's right. Yeah. And I mean... Wh- it's might. already difficult enough. Why are you going to stick a paper Eiffel yeah. Tower for them to avoid? Here, you know what? It's a poorly planned dance. <laughs> these kids are going to do the most complicated dance ever. Let's just stick a big fucking paper mache obstruction. Yes, let's not even make it out of something that is going to survive the night. <laughs> All right. Um, the gym floor. As usual at school dances, there are teachers acting as chaperones. A busy refreshment table... And wallflowers on the sidelines. A student photographer snaps an occasional flash picture for the yearbook, or posterity, or just for the hell of it. George is on the sidelines, bopping out of time to the music. 
he's quite nervous. Yes, we got that from when it said George. (laughs) Exterior, school parking lot, night. Professor Brown's Packard pulls into the lot and parks. Interior, Packard, Marty and Eileen. Marty is at the wheel, very uneasy. Eileen, next to him, looks beautiful in her best party dress. Marty looks at the clock on the dashboard. Um, let's just sit here for a few minutes. Are you alright, Marty? You seem a little... nervous. (laughs) No, I'm fine. Fine. But he's not fooling anybody. I'm usually nervous myself on first dates. But not tonight. It's funny, but somehow I feel like... Like I know you. Uh, Yeah, well, believe me. I sure feel like I know you. Interior school gymnasium, the dance. George now glances at the clock in the gym. It says 8.59. Alarmed, George looks at his own watch. Insert George's watch, which reads 8.55. George is even more alarmed. He runs over to a nearby student. What what time do you have? Uh, Five after nine. George is panic-stricken. He runs like (laughs) hell out of the gym. I love George. Well, he seems like nerdier in this version for some reason. I love that nobody can, like, synchronize a clock to anything in the 50s. Interior, Packard, Marty, and Eileen. Marty fidgets and looks at the clock again. Why are you so nervous? Marty takes a deep breath. Well, Eileen... Jeez, that's hard for me to say. Have, have you ever been in a situation <laughs> I where... I wish that had been in the fucking final. That's a great line. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Well, Eileen, jeez, that's hard for me to say. Have you ever been in a situation where, well, you know you have to act a, a certain way, but when you get there, you don't know if you can go through with it? Oh, you mean like how you're supposed to act on a first date? Well, sort of. Uh, I think I think I know exactly what you mean. You do? You know what I do in those situations? Marty looks at her. I don't worry about it. And with that, she throws herself on him, kissing him passionately, climbing all over him, putting his hands on her breasts. Ah, that didn't happen in the movie. No. Marty is absolutely shocked and strangely aroused. (laughs) And we would have been too if that had happened, by the way. Dude. Dude, Leah Thompson? Yeah. With my hands on her boobs? Yeah. Fuck yeah. I don't care whose mom she is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, we're back into the, uh, with, uh, with George in the uh, Interior, school hall, George. George is at a payphone dialing a number. His number rings and a woman answers. At the phone, the time will be nine o'clock exactly. <laughs> He's stressing over the exact time this whole time. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's, it's making him later. <laughs> George doesn't even wait for the tone. He takes off down the hall. Interior, Packard, Marty, and Eileen. Eileen, her blouse partly undone and her bra exposed, continues her passionate assault of Marty. That's called rape. (laughs) She's raping her son. (laughs) Then abruptly stops and pushes... No wonder Disney didn't want to do this. Well, the scene... Disney disagrees the scene where the mother rapes her son. (laughs) We have a problem with that. (laughs) Continues her passion of solo Mar- of Marty, then abruptly stops and pushes him away. She's very confused. Where am I? Right after the part I just read. Have you tried that? It's, I'm gonna see the part you just read. Oh, there it is. I'm sorry. This isn't right. Interior, school hall, George. George runs down the hall to the front door. He throws it open and runs out, only to get his jacket caught on the door jam. <laughs> He tries like hell to get his jacket undone. Interior, Packard, Marty and Eileen. I don't know what it is, but when I kiss you, something's wrong. It almost feels like like I'm kissing my brother or my my father. I don't, I'll have to do some comparisons to yeah. really determine. You know what? Let me blow you, then tonight I'll blow my dad while he's asleep, because it would just freak him out otherwise. And then, you know what? I'll get back to you tomorrow with some notes. <laughs> I think they should have done that, actually. <laughs> um, I don't understand it, but I, I just... I know it's wrong. Next line, too. Oh, it's on the... 
I guess it doesn't make any sense, does it? Believe me, it makes perfect sense. We hear the sounds of approaching footsteps on gravel. Eileen reacts. Sounds like somebody's coming in. Thank God it's not either one of us. (laughs) (laughs) Marty hears the footsteps too. He looks at the dashboard clock. It's nine o'clock. Not now, George. Not now. Suddenly, the driver's door is open. An arm reaches in, yanks Marty out, and Marty finds himself face-to-face with Biff. Oh, sorry. Biff. I've been looking for you, a-hole. Behind Biff is his usual entourage. Turtle. (laughs) What? Turtle drama. Characters from the show Entourage. Okay, sorry. I don't watch Entourage. Um... This is weird music for right now. I'm try. I couldn't find the music that plays right when he shows up. It, it really doesn't need to be that. Oh, here we go. You know what? Okay. Behind Biff is his usual entourage. Biff shows him roughly into the arms of Skinhead. I've been looking for you, a hole. Hey, can I? F- oh, what? Why did you? Sorry, I just wanted to say it again. <sighs> Can I get a new partner? (laughs) Behind Biff is his usual entourage. Biff shoves him roughly into the arms of Skinhead. Marty struggles, but Skinhead and Match grab him and restrain him. Let go of him. Leave him alone. Don't sound like a woman. Let go of him. Leave him alone. Go back to the other one. Biff takes a look at Eileen in the car. Well, looky what we have here. Notices her exposed bra. Eileen, I didn't know you were that kind of girl. I'm not! She lunges at her door to ex- escape, but Biff grabs her and climbs into the car. Oh, no, 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 you didn't. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Just shut the door on me. Biff pulls her toward him and looks at his boys. Hey, take him around back. I'll join you in a minute. Well, go on. This ain't no peep show. They drag Marty away. Biff shuts the car door and tries to kiss her. She struggles. Sorry. It's really loud. No wonder you don't have a girlfriend. Biff shuts the car door and tries to kiss her. She struggles, and in a moment, all we can see through the windshield are tussling arms and legs, accompanied by Eileen's muffled screams. There's a lot of rape in this movie. Yeah. This is a rapey movie. (laughs) Back to the rapist. Back to the rape. Rape to the future. Back to the future! What happens to my kids, Doc? What, do they all get raped or something? Obviously! (laughs) That's all Hill Valley is. It's just a rape. It's a rape town. Alt 1985. When Biff Tannen legalized rape! This is going to happen, man. Biff Tannen, a.k.a. Donald Trump, is going to get elected president, and rape's going to be okay. Rape's going to be okay. No, fucking your own daughter is going to be okay. Yeah, because he wants to fuck... uh, What's her name again? I always forget her name. Ivanka. Ivanka, yeah. Which just sounds like a James Bond villain name. Yeah. (laughs) Ivanka sucked my father's dick, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Um, Exterior, side of school. Skinhead, Match, and Gums drag Marty around the corner to the side of the school. At the side door, Reginald Washington is smoking a reefer. (laughs) He sees the three guys dragging the kid he met the other day. Hey, what's going on there? Beat it, black boy! Hey, now, you better... Listen, spook, you looking for trouble? No, no, sir, I don't want no trouble. Oh, he called him Spook, so obviously... He's obviously okay. Yeah, he he's an authority figure. <laughs> he goes back in the school. Exterior, front of school. George finally gets his jacket unhooked from the door jam and hurries down the front steps and over to the parking lot. There are a few couples hanging around. George runs frantically through the parking lot, looking for the right car. His eyes open wide upon seeing it. George's POV of the Packard. Through the windshield, we see arms and legs flailing about in a struggle. We hear Eileen screaming. George adjusts his pants, runs to the car, and opens the driver door. Hey, you, get your damn hands. Uh oh. George realizes that he's facing Biff, 
Now he's really scared. I think you got the wrong car, McFly. George, help me! George doesn't know how, what to do. He stares in dumbfounded amazement. Just close the door, McFly, and walk away. George, please, help me! Exterior, side of the school. Marty, gums, skinhead, match. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of the, the henchmen. So it's the fourth guy. Yeah. Burp. Gums and Match are holding Marty up against the wall, <laughs> and Skinhead is about to throw a vicious punch. That's you can tell because he—I guess he's—he winds up <laughs> like a cartoon character. <laughs> he, he looks like he's in the dog pound. <laughs> he's like he, like Arsenio's on stage. Yeah. Um, Skinhead. Speaking of Arsenio, Skinhead is about to throw a vicious punch. Skinhead winds. Oh, he is winding up. <laughs> winds up, but suddenly his fist is grabbed by a black hand. <gasps> Skinhead turns around and finds himself facing Sax and the rest of the band. Who you calling spook, Pickawood? <laughs> I knew you'd like delivering that line. What a great line. It's from the movie. Skinhead throws a wide There's punch. There's a lot of lines. I'm surprised. There's a lot of lines in here that are in the finished movie. By the way, Skinhead fighting a black guy? Yeah. Little on the nose. Yeah. Skinhead throws a wide punch at Sax. Sax smashes him in the face. Then the entire band jumps Biff's boys. Marty escapes and runs back toward the parking lot. Another Marty can be seen scurrying off the side <laughs> wearing a fedora. Yeah. No, it doesn't say that. No, it Folks. should, though. It doesn't. It'd be funny. Um, runs back to the exterior parking lot. Packard, George, Biff, Eileen. George is still facing Biff, trapped in his moment of indecision. All right, McFly. I asked you politely to leave. Now, I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. Biff steps out of the car, grabs George's right arm, and starts twisting it. We can see pain on George's face. Pain and anger. Almost by reflex action, George lets go with a tremendous left hook, smack into Biff's face. Biff hits the ground, out cold. George can't believe he did it! Marty rushes toward the Packard. He is astonished to see George and Eileen embracing and Biff out cold on the ground. He keeps his distance, allowing George and Eileen to have their moment. Nearby are a few bystanders from the front of the school, discussing what they just saw. That's not really the right music. Sorry. You are focusing on the wrong things. Oh, I have to be the bystanders? Okay. Did you see that? Kid's got the greatest left hook since Joe Lewis. Let him out, call with one punch. Somebody better call an ambulance. Marty can't believe what he's hearing. Now George and Eileen head for the school. Exterior, front of the school. George and Eileen go up the front stairs. Marty, a safe distance away, watches. Like a creep. <laughs> like a guy who's trying to secure his fucking existence, Sean. You can give him a break, can't you? Fine. <laughs> Just as they're about to go in, Eileen turns and sees Marty. She smiles. He smiles back. He still has a boner. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which is weird but funny too. <laughs> Exterior, side of school. Band members, Biff's boys. The fight is over. Lester kicks Skinhead in the ass one more time, and Biff's gang runs away. Marty returns to assess the damage. Hey, thanks a lot, you guys. It's okay. Well, you guys go back in there and play the best version of Turn Back the Hands of Time that you can. Because I like things that are on the nose. <laughs> Sorry, my friend. We're through for tonight. What do you mean? Look at, look at Lester's hand, man. He smashed it on top of old Baldy. We can't play without Lester. Lester is wrapping a handkerchief around his battered, bleeding hand. <laughs> you guys have to play. The dance isn't over yet. You gotta play Turn Back the Hands of Time. My parents gotta... George and Eileen got to dance the last dance and kiss. Hey, man, the dance is over. <laughs> Unless you can find somebody else who can play the guitar. Marty looks at Reginald. Cut to interior school gym on stage. Marty is playing the guitar with the Midnighters in a version of Turn Back the Hands of Time, which <laughs> is not this song. <laughs> <laughs> George and Eileen are dancing cheek to cheek. As the number concludes, they kiss. 
Marty sees this and smiles. He glances at the clock. It's a few minutes before midnight. Marty steps up to the mic. Well, folks, that about wraps it up for this evening. There are moans of disappointment from the crowd. From the crowd. Oh, one more. Oh, just come one on, more. Man. What the fuck? Are you, what are you, late? You want one more, huh? Marty looks at the clock, then at the band. They seem to have no objections. Marty thinks for a long moment, then steps up to the mic. Well, I probably shouldn't do this, but what the hell? You're going to be hearing a lot of this in the future anyway. Follow me, fellas. What? Oh, you want to hear it now? Marty turns the volume up on the guitar amp all the way, places his guitar against it, and blasts it. No, not that. What? What do you want? The, the heavy metal stuff. Oh, now you want the heavy metal shit. Yeah. All right, here we go. Three. Places the guitar up against and blasts the gym with electronic feedback a la Jimi Hendrix. The audience is horrified and the Midnighters don't know what to think. Then Marty immediately picks out a Chuck Berry riff and goes into Johnny B. Good. There are reactions of astonishment from everyone. What the fuck? I didn't do anything. They did it backwards. Sorry. Audience is horrified. Uh, no, there are reactions of astonishment from everyone. In moments, the band figures it out and joins in. And for the first time in the history of the world, rock and roll is heard! Yeah, baby. Some of the more adventurous in the crowd start dancing to it. Marty starts gyrating himself, jumping around like Little Richard. <laughs> the crowd goes nuts. The band is really getting into it. The chaperones, the chaperones hold their ears. What the fuck is this? Marty segues into Rock Around the Clock because... He's not done inventing rock and roll yet. <laughs> He's got to hit all the fucking <laughs> yeah. points. This is Back to the Future. All on, right, all right. The, on the nose version. We got Chuck. We got Chuck Berry. Let's go over and fuck up Bill Haley. <laughs> Everybody's dancing now. They're all doing something different, but everyone's having a great time. Marty whips off his sports coat and throws it into the crowd. Interior hall, public telephone. An elderly teacher is on the phone. That's right, officer. There's a riot in this school gym. Yeah, that's a 50s old guy. Yeah, and I wasn't... It's just the whole... You're just, like, the whole premise is filled. I mean, it's better than, it's me, your cousin, Marvin, Marvin Barry. It's coming up, though. You wait. Oh, wait, no, his name isn't Marvin Barry in this, so maybe it doesn't come up. Listen to this. <laughs> that new sound you've been looking for Has he met a musician? <laughs> I mean what musician do you talk to and they go, I'm just I'm just I'm trying to find this new sound, you know? Yeah. That's that's what I'm working but on. But then again everybody was looking to for find a new, a new sound, sound back then. Anyway, we're back in the high school, uh, right? The pandemonium on the dance floor continues. Sax gets up and improvises a solo. He's terrific. Ah, hold on having headphone problems. Oh, what happened? This year's cutting out. Oh. I think I'm better now. Nope. Oh, whatever you just did, did it. So, no, no, leave it. It's good now. <laughs> okay, you good? Yeah. All right. Now Marty tears open his shirt and does some Elvis pelvis moves. Girls scream. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Marty wraps it up with a final riff, and then the audience goes berserk with applause. The, mid the Midnighters are breathless with euphoria. Marty takes a bow. Oh, should the music stop? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Oh, it just fades out. <laughs> oh. Good night, everybody. The, the excited band members crowd around Marty. Come on, excited band members. Oh, man, that stuff cooks. That's the hottest sound I ever heard. You got to play that Monday for that record company. I'm sorry. You got to play that Monday for that record company cat from New York. I won't be there Monday. What? The band is stunned. What the fuck? 
And don't you guys play it either. Its time hasn't come yet. If you play it, you might screw things up. It'll happen on its own. What are you talking about? Rock and roll! <laughs> and with that, Marty runs off stage. <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> That is so fucking That's so dumb. Fucking dumb. Like it's not that much. It's not like the, the. So so we've just been playing this music. Everyone is clearly going apeshit for it. But you know what? Why don't you just not cash that golden ticket in? <laughs> you guys just sit on that and then wait until someone else gets famous for it, and then just ride their coattails and sound like a copycat. Exterior high school entrance night. Professor Brown's truck is idling in front of the school. Now Marty comes running out and jumps into the cab. Professor Brown is wearing an army uniform. Everything's cool. They dance. They kiss. They're in love. Let's go. (laughs) The truck pulls out. Unlike George. Burn. Burn? I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't pull out. He makes Marty. Exactly. Actually, he makes Dave first. Shut up. You shut up. Nobody gives a shit about Dave. Nobody gives a shit about you. Nobody gives a shit about Marty. Fine. Interior moving truck later. Marty is still going over the events of the evening excitedly. I sure wish I could have seen the punch. I mean, he decked him. Laid him out cold. One punch. It must have been beautiful. I didn't know he had it in him. You didn't? Nope. My father's never clenched a fist before in his life. Curious. Very curious. I just wish I could have seen it. Exterior, Nevada gas station, dawn. Professor Brown's truck is being filled at State Line Gas, a typical desert gas station of 1952. Facing one direction are signs, welcome to Nevada. Facing the opposite direction, welcome to Utah. So we know where we are. Okay. That's literally an establishing shot. Actually, this is weird. What? They're going to Nevada, right? Yeah. So how come they've driven all the way through it? Because the it's California. Facing the opposite direction. Welcome to Utah. Yeah, but they're driving from California. Right. So California's here. Nevada's right here. And then Utah's on the other side of Nevada. So they've driven from California across all of Nevada to the Nevada-Utah state line. That is weird. Yeah. Um, welcome to Nevada. Facing the opposite direction. Welcome to Utah. And of course, last chance for gas in 150 miles. In the background, the sun is rising between the distant mountains. Interior. Gas station men's room. Marty. Hmm. Marty is putting on an army uniform. Fatigues and a jacket. He takes the bottles of coke out of his bag and shoves them in the jacket pockets. He checks out his appearance in the mirror. Satisfied, he exits. Apparently, he just really likes that Coke from 1950. Yeah. Just gonna make some money off it. Uh, exterior, gas station. The attendant, a grizzled prospector type, shuts off the pump. 26 gallons. That'll be 375. Ah, <laughs> oh, that sounds like a dream. I know, right? <laughs> 26 gallons. That'll be three seventy-five. Professor Brown pays him. Marty rejoins the professor. They climb into the truck and depart. Exterior, army gates, Nevada desert, day. A dirt road leads to an intimidating-looking gate guarded by MPs. Barbed wire extends as far as the eye can see along the perimeter of the grounds, and a large sign proclaims, U.S. Army, restricted area, authorized personnel only. Professor Brown's truck pulls in and stops at the gate. An MP steps over. Where do you jokers think you're going? Professor Brown hands him orders. We're here to deliver that refrigerator. Brown indicates it. The MP sees it and shakes his head in disbelief. You know where you are. This is where they're going to drop the bomb, right? Well, Philco wants to find out what it does to their refrigerator. The MP looks under the tarp and sees the motorcycle. What's with the motorcycle? General Motors wants to find out what it does to their truck. The motorcycle is because we don't want to find out what it does to us. The MP looks over over the orders. He's satisfied. Well, you better shake a leg. 
That bomb goes off in 55 minutes. That's a weird sentence. Well, you better shake a leg. <laughs> You've only got an hour. <laughs> Marty and the professor exchange a look of relief, and then they head out to the nuclear test site. Really easy to get on a nuclear test site in 1952, Apparently, it turns yeah, out. You just gotta, like, bluff him. Don't worry, Marty! I've got a typewriter! <laughs> Exterior, artillery bunker. This is where the top brass and supervisor, supervisory personnel are assembled to witness the atomic test. There is also an artillery battery with 105 millimeter howitzers and a full communications base. Good. Good night. Colonel Nordell is looking across the desert through binoculars. Colonel, Colonel Nordell's POV through binoculars of Professor Brown's truck barreling toward the test site. Back to shot. As the alarm colonel turns to Lieutenant Glass. Lieutenant, what's that vehicle doing down there? Two guys delivering a refrigerator from Philco, sir. From Philco? Jesus Christ. How many refrigerators do we have to blow up in this test? <laughs> what a great line of dialogue. <laughs> that is some Roger Corman oh. B-movie fucking... <laughs> just, and just think, this guy helped defeat the Nazis a scant seven years before. Oh my God. Seven. Or the Japs. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. It is the 50s. War yeah. ended in 45. This yeah, is 52. I forgot it was the 50s for some reason. Um, exterior. Suburbia. Test site. Super. I know where we are. God. But do you know when we are? 1952! Oh, yeah. We just said that all. Yeah. There are several track houses here. A surrealistic suburban neighborhood, just as Mr. Arkey described in 1982. A large sign nearby gives the distance from ground zero 1.5 miles. Professor Brown's truck backs into a driveway of a house where there are mannequins on the front lawn. A man with a lawnmower and a woman in a, in a chaise lounge. Chaise lounge. I got it. I get it now. You're a jellyfish. I get it. Yeah, that always makes me think of a bit from uh, Ricky Gervais' stand-up. He's talking about the flooded cities. And he always thinks about a fish going, oh, that's a chaise lounge. <laughs> he does the hand motion. Yeah, fins. I got you. Um, Marty hops out of the truck and opens the garage door. Brown backs the truck in and shuts it down. Marty removes his jacket. He's perspiring under the hot desert sun and throws it in the cab. Interior, garage. The professor and Marty remove the tarp and start hooking up the time machine. You know, for a second, as they were uh, pulling up to the guard tower, I was thinking, I wonder if those cokes are to bribe the guards so they can get on the base. Yeah. Just like, brought you a Coke. This movie would do that. Yeah. This script would do that, but it didn't. Uh, we're going time machine. Interior detonation control. This is a 1950s version of mission control, where the personnel, military, and where the personnel, military and civilian, actually control the nuclear test. There are a number of clocks and lots of equipment here. It's 1130 11:30 hours and a flurry of activity. They set it off during the day? Okay. I always oh. pictured it at night. Coming up on exactly 30 minutes to detonation. Lock all timing circuits. Now. Mark. He throws a switch. Four clocks start ticking down in sync. Check arming circuits. Oh. Arming circuits are green. Final excavation check. Excavation? Evacuation check. Roger. POV, th those are all just random characters that they threw in, guys. <laughs> and they all have names. Yeah. Except for Tech 2 and Tech 3. And Tech 1, obviously. God damn it. You wouldn't just skip Tech 1. <laughs> Bill, Tech 2. Yeah, I would, though. I would totally do that to them. POV through binoculars of a tower with an atomic bomb on it. This is it. Ground Zero. Before 9-11, the script was written, apparently. Yardage markers are posted at 200-yard intervals from the tower. Up to 1,600 yards, then a mile marker. There it is, ground zero, and your target is 800 yards. Exterior, tract house, Marty, Professor Brown. Marty and the professor each have a pair of field glasses, and they stand at one side of the house looking toward the target area. Behind them, we can see that the truck is all rigged up and ready to go. The power converter is mounted on the roof of the cab, with the solar cell pointed straight along the forward axis of the truck. You know, I kind of, I kind of miss the uh, long pole and hook. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
It was sure nice of Uncle Sam to put those yardage markers up for us. We're at one and a half miles, so you're just a little over a mile from where you want to be. Wait until minus three minutes before you go. That should give you plenty of time, and it should be close enough to zero hour that they can't do anything to stop you. Except they just told us that an actual human controls the test. So they could stop the test. (laughs) Oh, hey, uh, there's a kid out there in a refrigerator. How about you don't hit the button to set off the nuke just yet? We'll go round him up first. Clearly this was an early draft before they worked out all the bugs. Like this whole scene? Yeah. This whole sequence? And much of Marty's character. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, Bob, I was thinking. Yes, Bob? What if we gave Marty, like, a little bit of brains? That's a good idea, Bob. Hey, what if, uh... What what if we just made him smart enough to be able to wipe his own ass, maybe? That's a good idea, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Hey, Bob. Yeah, Bob? What do you think? Think one of us should change our name to make it less confusing? (laughs) Nah. (laughs) I'm gonna be a director one day. That's not true, Bob. You don't know who's saying what, do you? That's the thing. <laughs> I'm going to be a director one day. You know, that's great. I wish you would. Me, on the other hand, I'm just going to host on this movie forever. <laughs> I'm already a director. <laughs> See, because it was a fact. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Bob Gale doesn't. Bob Gale makes a living, but not on anything else other than Back to the Future. Hey, did you guys know I wrote Back to the Future? Here's no. your free fucking drink, Bob. No, we didn't know that, Bob. You haven't told us before. I am, I am not sucking your dick again, Bob. I can't talk shit. If I wrote Back to the Future, like all three of them, I would be like demanding blowjobs all the time. So, I mean, I gotta give it to him. Just wa- walk into a bunny ranch. I wrote Back to the Future. Here's my dick. Uh, where are we? Uh, I can't do anything to stop you. Oh, um, it did that thing again where there's uh some direction that is actually dialogue. Oh, park the truck at eight hundred and get in the refrigerator. The time chamber. Just be sure the nose of the truck is pointed at the bomb. The power converter will do the rest. That makes no sense. There's a thing. So the power converter will take the power and put it to the thing. But, okay. But the, the blast has to hit that first. That's great. Yeah, and it's mounted on the front of the truck. Marty follows Professor Brown back into the garage. The motorcycles and sidecar have been unloaded, and the male mannequin who was mowing the lawn is the passenger. Brown hands Marty a walkie-talkie. Here's a walkie-talkie, as the directions (laughs) just indicated. (laughs) Hands him a walkie-talkie. Here's a walkie-talkie! Doc, I'm from the future. I know what it is. (laughs) This is a radio communication device! (laughs) <laughs> it's like the Brian Regan bit. What do you call it? Walkie-talkie. <laughs> this is the whammy kablammy. Uh, Indicates channel selector. I'll be on this frequency. This one's the army. He flips it to the ladder. T-minus 28 minutes and counting. I'd better go. It extends his hand. Good luck, Marty. They shake hands. Thanks for everything. I guess I'll see you in 30 years. Marty becomes very sober, knowing that he's forgotten to write a letter. (laughs) Knowing that he won't see Professor Brown ever again, and knowing there's nothing he can do about it. Because he's stupid. Nothing he can do. You're in 1950. He, He even says it in the movie, where he's like, I got all the time I want. I got a time machine. I'll just go back early and warn him. And he like resets it. It's like, yeah, they wanted him dumb in this one. But it's also, but that's after he gives him a letter that he then tears up. In this one, it doesn't even occur to him like, oh, I can just tell him, hey, don't get shot. And in fact, the entire time, Doc, like Doc is shutting him up most of the time about the future. Like Marty is relentless. Yeah. Trying to, and in this, it's like just now starting to occur to him. Like, maybe I should. Oh, yeah. No, Doc's going to be dead. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot this whole time. You're you're just dead. I'm going to be sad later because you'll be dead. Can't fix that, though. Okay, Doc, goodbye. I love you. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) it's my only shot at this. He really is dumb in this version. (laughs) Fuck. 
Marty becomes very sober, knowing that he won't see Professor Brown ever again. he's been drunk this whole time. And knowing there's nothing he can do about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Something wrong? Marty shakes his head, trying to hold back his tears. It's just always hard for me to say goodbye. I promised myself I wasn't going to cry. Marty steps outside, not wanting to look at him. Professor Brown hesitates, then asks a question. Do I get shot or something? (laughs) (laughs) Marty, I know I've repeatedly asked you not to tell me anything about the future, but, well, these loud bangs on the tape recorder, are they... Professor, there are some doors that shouldn't be opened. Then they get slammed repeatedly and make banging sounds on tapes. Bye! (laughs) Uh, Let me read that one here. Professor, there are some doors that shouldn't be opened. Professor Brown nods. T-minus 27 minutes. Marty raises his binoculars and looks back toward ground zero. (laughs) At at no point does Marty go, This is insane, right? I'm going to get in a refrigerator and expect to survive a nuclear blast? (laughs) How fucking stupid would a movie have to be? This stupid. Or, you know, Indiana Jones 4 stupid. Oh my god, I don't even want to talk about it. I haven't seen that movie. They do that exact thing. I haven't seen that movie because I've heard of how how fucking stupid it is. He's in a little city like this, the little fake blow-up town. And he gets in the the fridge. And and the nuke is going to go off, so he gets in a fridge, and the fridge goes flying. I've seen that shot, yeah. It's dumb. It's really dumb. Yeah. And it's I just mean, like for for a fucking Indiana Jones movie, it's really dumb. And you know Spielberg read this script. Yeah. So I think at that point he was just done with George. He's like, "All right, fine, George. Whatever the fuck you say. Can we just shoot this, please?" They're making a fifth one. Why? I mean, a fourth one. A fourth one. Yeah, cuz I don't acknowledge the existence of that one. Ah, okay. Anyway, back to the script. You're making Yeah, you're you're gonna, how, how what we're almost we're we're gonna be at a, a stopping point soon, um, because we are at fifty six minutes. We may as well push through. Are you sure? We're almost done. Look where we are. We're at the famous refrigerator scene from Back to the Future. Come on. I mean, I've got we're on page eighty four of one hundred and two pages on my copy. Eighty one of ninety nine. You want to do a whole another episode just for? It's up to you, man. Well, I guess it's almost twenty pages. Yeah. All right. So you want to f- stop now or do the next scene? Um. Mm, let's do one more scene. Got it. Marty raises binoculars and looks back toward Ground Zero. Professor Brown goes to the motorcycle. He looks at the mannequin. Something's wrong. He goes to the truck cab, pulls out Marty's army jacket, and puts it on the dummy. Now the professor gets on the cycle, revs it up, and rides off. Marty, still gazing through the binocs, hasn't seen any of what just happened. Exterior, artillery bunker. What? I don't get what's happening right now. Lieutenant Glass is looking through the binoculars. Um, Glass's POV through binocs of Professor Brown's motorcycle heading back the way it came. The mannequin looks like a real person. Back to shot. As Glass turns to Colonel Nordell. Hey, there go those two lovers who brought the refrigerator. <laughs> lovers. All right. Evacuation's complete, I say into the phone. <laughs> Evacuation's complete, area's secure. Inter- exterior, tract house, Marty. Marty is walking around in front of the house looking at... <coughs> Pardon me. All right. Uh, walking around in front of the house looking it over. He goes inside. Oh, it continues. Interior, tract house, Marty. Amazingly enough, it looks like a model home. There's furniture, magazines on tables, a TV, a radio. In the dining room, more mannequins are seated at the table, which is set with full place settings. Marty wanders through the house, chuckling at the idiocy of it all. (laughs) Marty goes into the kitchen and has a look around. There's a frigid air refrigerator. Marty opens it and discovers it is well stocked with food, including meat, cheese, milk, eggs, coke, fruit, and vegetables. Marty takes an apple, has a bite, and returns to the living room. Interior, living room. Marty turns on the TV. Snow. He switches channels and finally tunes in a picture. The Howdy Doody Show. 
Marty watches Clarabelle dancing around and shakes his head. The fabulous 50s. Interior, donation control. Detonation control. Donation control. <laughs> Donate to Doc's Kickstarter. Interior, detonation control. The countdown continues. T minus 14 minutes. Lock alarming circuits. Preliminary arming test circuits. <laughs> Wait. Technician slip switches. Preliminary arming circuits locked. Main arming circuits locked. Auxiliary arming circuits locked. And. Imagine going through life with that voice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop there. Okay. So it's about to get froggy. Yeah. It's about to get froggy, and that's where we're going to stop. All right, guys. We'll be, uh, we'll be right back, so just... We won't be right back. We'll see you next week. Wait, hold on. I think I need to put a song in here. An actual, like, song of some kind to end with. What is this? This is uh, Eric Clapton, Heaven is One Step Away. When when Marty comes back to 85, and uh, what's his name is on the, 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 ho- the hobo, is on the bench. The bench, and he's like, Red, you look great, everybody looks great. This is playing. Huh. So, uh, in summary, Marty is fucking dumb. <laughs> I like that your voice like doesn't try to make it really like you make him sound dumber. I don't know if you're doing that on purpose, but like the the the, the screechy voice of it, like you you kind of you never give him any other kind of register other than I'm up here now, like <laughs> and it fits, it totally fits the characterization of as he is on the page. Oh man, it really is fucking. So uh, that's the takeaway from this episode is <laughs> Marty's a dummy. Marty McFly is the stoop like, and it's weird because Biff doesn't do the knock on the head and say hello. Anybody home? Because Biff? the answer is no. There's yeah. nobody home. Biff nope. would just be there knocking forever. <laughs> yeah, Biff and Biff is done. By the way, like there's no more mention of them. I think in the rest of the movie of Biff. He got knocked out, which was the end of him in the movie. Movie right. Um, except for uh, the epilogue. Yeah. And then the beginning of Back, to the, uh, Back to the Future 2, where for some reason he's not perplexed so much as he is pissed off that there's a flying DeLorean. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. And there's like no... I was going to say there's no sign of it, but there's really no sign of it in Back to the Future 2, but... He's still kind of a, a grump piece of shit in the end of Back to the Future 1 because he's, like, trying to snow George. He's, like, just finishing up the second coat now. And George is, like, fuck that shit. You need to do... You better... Now, be, Biff! Don't con me! And then he's, like, all right, I'm sorry, I'm a fly. I'm just, just, just starting the second coat. I, I forget. I'm a piece of shit. It's okay, George. I'm sorry. Please don't hit me again. <laughs> that, that one punch has uh, settled me for 30 years. Yeah. I wonder if, if if in that version George ever just like looks at, at Biff when he starts to get snotty and just holds up his fist like hat at and and Biff's like okay I'm sorry McFly. Though clearly, at some time between 1985 and 2015, uh, Biff gets his balls back. <laughs> yeah, that's when uh, Great Granddad Biff goes and gives him he, the helmet. He gets his balls back, and. Um, further learns how to operate a time machine that he sees for the first time ever immediately just gets in it's like oh yeah. I'll just go to 1985 and give myself this book yeah they never show him actually like learning how to turn the time cir- turning on the time circuits which by the way sounds like this that's how you turn the time circuits on yes well we're done with this episode Four of Back to the Future. We're going to be back next week with uh, the conclusion. Might be a slightly shorter episode. Yeah. Unless we take some quaaludes before we read it. <laughs> or if we just, like, you know, do as we often do and just get ADD with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, heaven is one step away or one more installment of Back to the Future. See you next week.
this podcast was created by Sean McBee and produced by Ferris Wheelhouse. <laughs> Fuck. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.